Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, you sent your Son to drink the cup of your wrath against sin. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit to work through today's sermon that we may trust in the forgiveness Christ won for us so that we may daily let the new man you have created in us rise in service and love to you. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely he was taking up our weaknesses and he was carrying our sufferings. We thought it was because of God that he was stricken, smitten, and afflicted. But it was because of our rebellion that he was pierced. He was crushed for the guilt our sins deserved. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is the word of our Lord. During this Lent series, we are working through Isaiah 52, verse 13, through Isaiah 53, verse 12, where we see a very key uh, focus on the coming Savior, 700 years before Christ is born, of the suffering that he does. And as a result of that, we've been asking the question, why must the servant of the Lord suffer? And in Isaiah 52, verse 13, we saw as true God, he had all the wisdom because he's all-knowing, to bring you to salvation and keep you in your salvation. He suffered to bring you into that salvation, give it to you using all of his divine wisdom. And then after that, we saw in our second sermon that he suffers inhumane treatment to lift you up and make you a child of God. Last week in Isaiah 53 verses 1 through 3, we saw that he had no worldly glory uh, to attract us to him. And so it uh, actually he suffers the rejection that we naturally have towards God because he is God so that he could lift you and I up and save us. And so with no worldly beauty or worldly glory to attract us to him, God has made it that it's by the faith he gives us and only by that faith. It's a miracle to attract us to him. And so this week we continue that theme. Why must the servant of the Lord suffer? And again, if we look at the very last verse of last week's sermon text, Isaiah 53, verse 3, we were told, He was despised and rejected by men, a man who knew grief, who was well acquainted with suffering, like someone whom people cannot bear to look at, he was despised, and we thought nothing of him. Isaiah turns around and gives us a contrast to that and emphasizes him as we get into today's text. And as usual, I will be preaching on my own Hebrew translation to bring out a few of those uh, extra things that are made for clunky English. Verse 54 says, but, so after pointing out that there's, there's nothing to attract us to him and we thought nothing of him, value him up, say this isn't worth anything. Now we have this strong but and, and an emphasis on him. But truly, he himself has taken up our grief-filled sicknesses. Have you ever suffered from a chronic sickness? It goes on and on and wears you down. Besides becoming physically wearing, it becomes emotionally wearing. And so the word used in Hebrew here is a chronic sickness that emotionally wears us down and gives us grief. And the greatest sickness, the most chronic disease in human beings is the one that happened when Adam and Eve chose, chose to trust the devil's lies and not the word of God. Because of that, they lost the image of God and they begat children in their own image, meaning every one of us is conceived a mean, lean, God-hating machine. And unless God intervenes, 
All we can do is reject him. And so he suffers the greatest chronic illness of all. He goes to that cross so that he can pay for that. But he understood other chronic illnesses, didn't he? He understood as, as he healed people with, with uh, such problems as being born blind and everything else. It's interesting. Our text continues because it says, but he has taken up. He's lifted up our grief-filled sicknesses. He lifted that up, lift, lifting it off of us, if you will. But then it continues in Hebrew poetry and it says, and he has carried our sorrows. There, the word is to take a heavy load, like put it on your own back and carry it for someone else, carrying our sorrows. Now, we got to understand something about our grief-filled sicknesses that are chronic in our sorrows. And to explain that, I want to go to John chapter 9, where Jesus, by no mere coincidence, because he is true God who became true man, comes across a man who was born blind. And the disciples ask him, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That's a pretty common understanding when people have chronic sicknesses and diseases. They think that God is punishing them. Now, they could think maybe this guy was going to turn out, although it would be 2,000 years later, to be even worse than Hitler, so God struck him blind. Or it could be that his mother was promiscuous and had an STD. And some of those, when the child goes through the birthing canal, could actually cause blindness. So there's many ways in which they could think God is punishing this person for disease. Is it, was it his, or for sickness or for sin? Was it his or his parents' sin? And we still see that today, even in religions like Hinduism, where if you come across somebody miserable lying there in the street with the disease and you say, hey, I can help you. Maybe you're a doctor, I could fix this, or I could get you to a doctor. Well, in that religion, they got the natural religion that if you want to do better, you got to, if you want to get better, you got to do better. We call that work righteousness. It's the natural religion of our sinful nature. And so if you help that person, then they won't in the next life evolve into a higher life form. So you have to leave them suffering. That's terrible. And Jesus tells his disciples Neither this man nor his parents in this particular case had sinned to cause us. This was for God's glory. And for you and I to understand that, we have to understand God's not a narcissist. It was done to show this man, his parents, and the world around him that Jesus is the Savior so that they would believe and have eternal life. But that work righteousness, the disciples had it. We, we've seen it's built into us. And we even see that throughout the book of Job. Recall that Job doesn't know what's happened behind the scenes. The devil goes up to heaven. Ha Lord, I beat you. There's nobody who believes in you. God says, hey, have you tried my servant Job? Oh, you've spoiled him rotten. Take everything away from him and, and, and he'll curse you. God says, okay, you can take everything but his life. Now, Job never does curse the Lord. God had already I already knew he was going to win because God knows that faith is his Holy Spirit living in your heart and he was going to keep his Holy Spirit in Job's heart. But Job has four friends come and, and Job even at one point in time says, wow, what great friends you are, very sarcastically, because all four of his friends in one way or the other say, admit it, you've done some horrible sin against God and you're getting what you deserve. Confess your sin and maybe God will lift his burden. Job says, no, he says those wonderful words, I know that my Redeemer lives. And so when Jesus carries up our sorrows, he's pierced in, in everything else. That, that's for us. He's taking up our sicknesses and the sorrows that are caused by them. So he continues, 
Yet we ourselves valued him as one having been stricken, and as one having been beaten, and as one having been made to be in a state of affliction by God. See, God does allow discipline to come into our lives. What I mean is this. If a man decides to cheat on his wife and he's sexually promiscuous, he may get an STD. And that STD would be a discipline from God, a direct result from his sin, but that wouldn't be punishment. I like to, dis, I like to distinguish between the two words. The punishment for sin is to be eternally abandoned by God. And because of Christ being pierced for us, because of Christ taking on that affliction, because Christ suffering all that grief, and we really see that grief as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Christ bore that, you and I will never know what it's like to be abandoned by God. But God loves you and he doesn't want to lose you. So like a parent who disciplines their children, he'll allow us to suffer consequences of our sins, not eternally, but temporally like the person I just mentioned cheating on his wife, so that the person learns to be faithful and and, and to struggle against their sinful nature. So, why must the servant of the Lord suffer? Well, in this particular case, we're being told he suffers to take up our sicknesses and the sorrows that are caused by our sicknesses. And the result of that is, you know that in this life, when hardships come upon you, because God subjected this world to decay, and that means it's because of that that there's diseases like cancer, the common cold, the flu, and even COVID in this world. So, if you get cancer, in most cases, it's not, yeah, God's just mad at you and he's beating on you. Uh, In fact, that's never the case. Now, some forms of cancer can be from uh, being foolish, and it can be a discipline. But things like cancer, the common cold, flu, that's just that we live in a world subjected to decay. And we can say, this is not God hating me. This is not God discipline. This is not God punishing me. This is rather God telling me, don't get attached to this sinful world. And lots of times it's actually for our neighbor even. So like when Job suffered so that they can see, wow, this person has an absolute faith in their God, how gracious and wonderful their God is. So when you have those kinds of, uh, of, of grief filled, chronic sicknesses and stuff, you can say, this is not God punishing me. This is actually, God would not allow this because he is, had become a human being. He knows what this feels like, and, and he would not allow this unless he had something good in mind for me. And the further consequence of that is he has won the new heavens and the new earth for you and saved you. So it always reminds you there's something better. There's a glorified heavens and earth in which there's no more cancer and there's no more disease. So why must the servant of the Lord suffer? To take up our sicknesses and their sorrows. So he can give us the new heavens and the new earth in which we will never have those ever again. Verse 5 of our text continues. Yet he is one who has been pierced because of our rebellions. There are several words in Hebrew that uh, are used for sin. And this one that's used, you notice I translated as rebellion, points out that When you and I sin against God, it is a direct rebellion against him. When you and I sin against our neighbor, it is a direct rebellion against God. Just like if you get on the interstate and the speed limit's 75 and you decide to do 85, uh, you are rebelling against the laws saying, I know better than the people who set this, usually often by construction of the highway and what's safe. So... Every time we sin, even just think the thought, we are rebelling against God. And notice it said he was pierced. 
We cannot help but with New Testament clarity picture those nails being driven, which seems by archaeologists to be right there in the wrists, which would by the Greek and the Hebrew word still be considered the hand. And, and through his feet, through his heels, he was pierced on that cross to pay for your and my rebelling against God. And even with the new person in us who clings to Christ crucified and clings to Christ as our Savior, we still have that sinful nature that has rebellious thoughts by the minute. And it continues, yet one who has been crushed because of our... And the Hebrew word for sin here is difficult. If we translate it as perversion, then it sounds exclusively like sexual sins, and it's not. It's when we take God's will and we twist it to suit our own. So, for example, a person working at a cash register and somebody else comes along and accidentally gives them a couple extra dollars too many. And they, so they, they know that by the commandment, thou shalt not steal. But they say, well, the person should have known how to count. And so they pocket that money themselves. That's taking God's will and twisting it to suit their purposes. And this is especially what Christians do. We have the new man who doesn't want to sin, but our sinful nature will try to slip that sin past our new person by saying, oh, that's, that's God's will. Just, let's just make this there. Let's just make a little adjustment in there. Now, now you don't have to have a, a burdened conscience about it. So when it says he was crushed, we have to understand not one bone was broken on Jesus. There again, though, we, we think about first and foremost, as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? The the spiritual torment he endured was literally hell, so you and I would not have to do that. So spiritually, he's crushed. But again, think about how he's beat by the guards when he's arrested. He's smacked when he uh, answers the high priest's question. Uh, and then when he, the, the Roman soldiers get to have their fun, and that cat o' nine tells it was a whip with nine whips on it. And so every time you get smacked, it, you're going to have welts from being whipped nine times. But they had taken crushed pottery and, and pounded that into those, those nine fingers. And so when Jesus or anyone was whipped with that, it would literally flay skin off their back. So here it's emphasizing he endured physical and spiritual crushing so that you and I would never know what it's like to be abandoned by God. After spelling out that in those two words pretty much cover all of our sins, uh, in, in, it, it, then he turns around and says, the disciplining for our peace was upon him. See, even the most God-hating uh, person in this world who militantly acts against God, whom God has even said, fine, you want to hate me that much from here on out when you hear that I paid for your sins so there's no reason to go to hell because you keep insisting on it, I'll harden your heart now and, and, and that's going to be the, word that, the, word that my, the work that my word has on you now. Even that person does not know what it's like to be abandoned by God. Yet, they will know if they stay in that state when they're in hell. But for you and I, lots of times when we have that, that chronic sickness that causes us grief and everything, we may think, is God mad at me? Is God hating me? No. See, you're at peace with God. So whatever happens in this world, you have the assurance Christ has one peace so that God is your Father, he's your brother, he's the Holy Spirit who's literally set up residence in your heart, giving you the new person. So when things happen in this life, 
We don't have to think, wow, this is God angry at me. He's acting as my enemy. You know that you're at peace with God. And so he's using that for your good. Sometimes after the fact, we can look back and see it. Even rarer, sometimes when we're going through it, we know exactly why. Sometimes we have to wait until we're in heaven to ask God what that's about. Probably by the time we get there, we won't care. But you are at peace with God. Why? We've talked about that piercing. We've talked about that crushing. And the last part of this uh, text tells us, and by his welts, it has been healed for us. Now, the Hebrew word literally is in the stripes left by a whip. A whip. Hence, in his welts, it's been healed for us. There again, we see Christ took the punishment for us from, from the, the moment that the, the guards mishandle him all the way until he cries out, it is finished. Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. All of that physical and spiritual torment, but it's all to heal you so that you are made God's child. We don't just sit there and look at the wounds of Jesus and say, now, don't you just feel awful? Those wounds are the soothing balm that heals your and my sin. The fact that we were conceived slaves to the devil, but now we've been made children of God. So when we look at Christ on the cross, we say, that is my sin being paid for. That's the punishment I deserve. And when we look at the empty cross in the empty tomb, we can say, my sin has been paid for in full. My, my animosity with God is healed and I am now God's child. So according to today's two verses that were our sermon text, why must the servant of the Lord suffer? To take up our sicknesses and the sorrows that they cause and to heal us in his wounds so that we are made God's children. Amen. And now the Lord lets you, his servants, depart in peace according to his word. For your eyes have seen God's salvation, which he prepared in the face of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of his people, Israel. Amen.